seated, I got a note that uh, if anyone has a smartphone, uh, Betty Burdick, right down here, needs to use one right after the service. So if you have a smartphone, Betty Burdick, I don't have a smartphone. I think you call my phone the dumb phone. <laughs> but I can text, so don't get after me too much. <laughs> took me about, what, two years, but I figured out how to text. John chapter 21, if you're not there. Those penetrating words, do you love me? You know, if a friend asked you that, that might be convicting, but you could talk your way out of it. If a family member asked you that question, do you love me? It might be a little bit harder because they know a little bit more about you. If your spouse asks you that, that could be very convicting, especially if they ask you that three times. Do you love me? But when the Sovereign Lord asks you that, there's no place to hide, especially after Peter's failure that he had just experienced a few days earlier, right? And now Jesus is going to restore Peter. That's what we want to look at. One commentator said, wrote, If each of us knew how sinful we really were, we would not be so shocked or subdued by our failures. If we just knew how sinful we really were. But most of us do not know the depths of our own depravity. So, we are shocked by our sin. Just shocked. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. When we sin, and you could put a lot of different sins in there, When you start seeing your sins of pride, we've been doing a series downstairs in ABF on pride. Very, very helpful. Off of a book by uh, Stuart Scott. And Bob's been doing a great job just, you know, expounding on and just seeing all the areas that you can have pride in. And, you know, you can look back and say, wow, I can't believe, I just cannot believe how much pride I have. But there's so many others, lust and self-protecting, all the moral issues. And then, then you could come into the ones that are somewhat respectable sins, as Jerry Bridges called them. And, you know, you find out that your worry and fear is, is evidence of idolatry. Wow. And, you know, and all the different types of sins that are out there. Just selfishness. We just don't see the, you know, how sinful we really are. Well, what Satan does at that point, and you've probably had this happen before, you fail. And his tactic is to argue basically with you in one sense that you have forfeited a chance at a successful life. That really you think that God is going to use you after that failure or really after those multiple failures. And again, instead of listening to what Satan has to say. We need to go back to Scripture and know that it's never too late. No matter what happened, no matter what your sin is, no matter how many times you've gone down that path, that you haven't forfeited the possibility of a blessed life. You haven't forfeited it. As long as you do what God wants you to do, and that's what we find in Peter's life. He did what God wanted him to do, and therefore he did not forfeit the blessing the usefulness of a useful life, you know, that he was going to be used by God. So again, uh, or or to say it this way, in fact, uh, we've been using uh, a lot of Paul Tripp's material in the last few months, and one of the things he said is this, you shouldn't feel discouraged when you feel needy. Sometimes we feel discouraged when we feel needy. You know, I just can't seem to do, Lord, I just don't know if I can do this. Actually, he's saying back to you, you can't, you need my power. But Tripp said, you don't feel discouraged when you feel needy. Feeling needy is the work of grace. Feeling needy is the work of grace. Don't run from it. Embrace it. I didn't say failure. I said needy. Okay. No. God doesn't want us to fail, but he wants us to be needy towards him. That's why we're driven to the word. That's why we're driven to prayer. Feeling needy is the work of grace. Be afraid when you don't feel needy. Because then you have delusions of strength. And Peter had delusions of strength. And and, and just very quickly as we get to John 21, let's remember some of Peter's failures. If if you're uh, 
writing things down, Matthew 26, and I'm going to be reading out of the New American on some of these verses because I think it's clearer in the New American. But remember how boastful Peter was? In Matthew 26, verse 31, then Jesus said to them, you will, fall, you will all fall away because of me this night. Again, at the, la, uh, at the upper room. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. That's found in the Old Testament. Verse 33, but Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, and you can almost see him pointing to the other disciples, even if they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away fall away. <laughs> I imagine that word never came back to haunt him. Man, what was I thinking? He was very, very boastful. Paul later on in Corinthians wrote this, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think you're going to stand, that's a delusion of strength. No, we need to fall on God's grace and say, I am a needy person. I am a needy person. I need your grace in my life at every moment. Peter was uh, boastful. He was also very self-confident. Just a few verses later, Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then it says, all the disciples said the same thing. You know, you get a good leader. Yeah, I'm going this way. And everyone else says, yeah, yeah, I agree with him, you know. So he's just leading them down the path. I mean, Jesus had just said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. And he's, he's going exactly against what Jesus had just told them. So he was boastful. He was self-confident. Then they get to the, the garden. Remember the garden? And, and Jesus encourages them to pray. And they don't. In verse 35, it says, Peter said to him, or excuse me, it says, keep watching and praying. In other words, and, and that's in the uh, present tense. In other words, keep doing it. Don't just pray once. Keep praying. You're going to need it. Pray. Pray for me. Pray for you. You're going to need it. Keep praying. Keep watching. Be vigilant. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But what did he do? What did he do? Slept. Came back, woke him up. What did he do? Slept. See, prayerlessness points to something. Peter was self-sufficient. He wasn't sufficient on the Lord. He wasn't depending on the Lord. And then finally, they move from there and they're up and the, the soldiers come and remember how Peter drew out his sword and struck the slave of the uh, high priest and cut off his ear and obviously he wasn't aiming for his ear. He was going to try to kill the guy, but he was impulsive. I'm just, I'm just reminding you of these things because when I use the words delusions of strength, that was Peter at the beginning. He had these delusions of strength. He just felt like he could, you know, he could get the job done. And that's what made him boastful and confident, self-confident and self-sufficient and impulsive. And God was going to have to break him if he was ever going to use him. That's the point. That is the point of this message. God has to break us if he's going to use us. Thankfully, he breaks us systematically so it doesn't destroy us. And thankfully, he uses us systematically along the way as well. You know, he doesn't wait till you're like, you know, you've got to pass the senior years, then I can use you. But he keeps breaking us so he can use us. He keeps breaking us so he can use us. And he, and he had to break Peter. Just let him go his own way. You want to do it? You think you can do it? And then finally, the ultimate of his collapse is when he denied the Lord. See what I just told you? I, leading up, he, he, was, he was on that path. He was on that path of collapse. Finally, it happened. He denied the Lord, what? Not once, not twice, three times. I mean, not only abandoned Christ, he wasn't there at the trial, he was off in the side, but again, his cowardice-ness even allowed him to speak those words, to deny his Lord. I mean, it, it just went right through his heart at that point. So the question is, how do you view failure? <laughs> how do you view failure? How do you view, uh, view failure in uh, your life or in other people's lives? But again, how do you view your failure? That's an even bigger question. Again, we can learn a lot from how Peter deals with it. Do you see failure as the end? Or do you see failure as part of the process that God uses to mature us? So again, going back to that thought, that he can use us. See, some of you are in the midst of failure right at this very moment. How are you going to deal with it? <laughs> 
You're going to use that and ask God to use it so that you would be matured so that you can use it. You're dealing with other people that are in the midst of failure. And sometimes when we get proud, we get very um, uh, caustic, very uh, demanding of people in failure. You know, they're putting us out. They're, ma- they're making our lives hard. They're, they're, they're uh, uh, you know, it's not comfortable. They're, um, you know, um, impinging on my schedule, as it were. But again, failure is supposed to mature us and we depend on God's grace and we are strengthened through him and we see how big God is in the midst. You know, thankfully, Christ triumphant, uh, is triumphant over all our failure. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, now I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it. Now again, I'm, I, I just said 1 Peter. <laughs> Who's the author? Who's the guy that's, you know, all the experiences of his life. Now he's writing it down. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this, uh, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself, uh, who judges righteously. And you say, well, how did he even know? Because Peter was watching, but from a distance. Watch the entire process. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. We're, we're healed. And again, I, I imagine when he was writing that, he just, yeah, because he went to the cross, I, I was able to be forgiven for all that I had done and that we're even reading about right now. Verse 25, by the way, this verse 25 actually, I'll read it now because this plays right into exactly where Jesus wants Peter to be. And now he's telling his audience and he says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And if you're in 1 Peter at that point, verse 25, just underline the word shepherd because we're going to be looking at that in a moment. It's because of Christ's death that we can have a new beginning. It's because of Christ's death that we can be forgiven. It's because of Christ's death that even though we've had failure after failure after failure, we can still have the potential and actuality of walking with Him. No matter how old you are, no matter how many times you have failed, because of His sacrifice, we can be forgiven, be made part of His family. Well, let's go to the second part. Now we're in John 21, so if you're there, good. You're there. But we're going to be looking at the second part, and that is the restoration of Peter. We've seen his failure, and we know about his failure. By the way, we, we love Peter. You know, why do we love Peter? Because, well, some have said he's the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. <laughs> you know, it's Peter that just, this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is how. Yeah, he's so real. You know, none of us want to... None of us want to learn about a human that just never made the mistake, right? Never made the failure. But anyways, the restoration of Peter. Now, as the scene unfolds, it says, After these things, verse 1, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And again, because there's at least, uh, I think, ten different times that Jesus shows himself to his disciples. Two other times in in the Gospel of John. So he shows himself again in this way. Uh, he showed himself, and then he names, verse 2, he names, John names the uh, people that were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, and the other, uh, and two other of his disciples. By the way, notice just the, the group there, and again, Simon, Peter, the denier, you know, Thomas, the doubter. Oh yeah, now we have the sons of Zebedee, you know, they're fighting, uh, you know, who, who's the greatest. I mean, what a, <laughs> what a group. Uh, the men's prayer group right now is, is just starting a whole series on uh, studying the, uh, uh, the apostles. And the, the, the book's name is uh, Twelve Ordinary Men. Twelve Ordinary Men. By the way, if you're a guy, and, um, you know, I, I would really encourage you to get to one of the three groups. One's at uh, Bob Baker's, uh, one's down at Dale Vance's in Hornell, and then the other is Billy Baker's uh, in uh, Almond. But they meet on Saturday morning, and I understand Saturday morning. I mean, I've heard this year after year after year. Well, you know, it's the only day I can sleep in. Yeah, well, yeah. I'll tell you what, it's the greatest blessing. Although I thought about that. I thought, what day do I sleep in? I actually don't. I just, 
I mean, every day I get about the same. Even if I had like the whole day off, I still don't sleep in. I don't know if you're like that. I mean, I just get up at the same time because my, you know, the body's wired that way. Which, which, all right, what I'm trying to say is this. Maybe do this. If you're a guy, get up, you know, come to prayer. By the way, I never leave men's prayer without saying it is such a blessing. I always go home praising God. And then maybe just plan on instead of sleeping in in the front end of the day, maybe just take a little nap in the middle of Saturday. You know, you deserve it. <laughs> hey, we're ordinary. These guys are ordinary. You know, we look at apostles like super ordinary. No, God allows us to see their failure so that we would all understand they're normal, they're ordinary, we are. But how does God deal with ordinary men? So, <clears throat> look at verse 4. Well, no, let me just end with verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. <laughs> you got to kind of see, I mean, that's kind of, I'm going fishing. He had been with the Lord. He had already seen the Lord. We're going to reference that in a moment. But that almost smacks of, you know, my life with walking with him is done. I'm going fishing. It's the Lord. Look at verse 4. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. A few hundred feet out, kind of think of the dark, you know, mist arising from the, the uh, lake. It's calm, but it's still dark and ways off, and they really don't know it's the Lord. He says, um, then Jesus said, verse 5, Children, have you any food? They answered, No. And he said to them, Cast your net on the right side. <clears throat> And you will find some. So they cast, and, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, <laughs> I love Paul, he doesn't, or excuse me, John, he doesn't name himself. By the way, would you rather have the name um, John recorded in the scripture or the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved? <laughs> Said to Peter, It is the Lord. I mean, that must have stopped Peter. Now, when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged in the sea. The other disciples came in a little, uh, uh, in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 300 feet, dragging the net with, him, uh, with, uh, with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, uh, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Now, by the way, that was all prepared for the Lord, uh, by the Lord. Um, so, I mean, the fish and everything, it's not the fish that was in the net. By the way, as one guy said, how does, how does God, or how does Jesus prepare the breakfast? <laughs> it's done. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Okay. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. I love this. He's taking care of their physical needs. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Again, third time that we find in, this, in, the, in, the, uh, in the gospel. John just referencing as far as the times that he had talked about Jesus, because we find that he, he showed up to his disciples like ten times. So again, that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's Christ as the uh, initiator, the initiator of the process. So we, we get into the uh, of restoration. Let's talk about just restoration because we're going to see this play out in verse 15. Uh, let me say this, that what we're going to see in verses 15 to 17 is Peter being restored to the ministry. This is not being restored to fellowship. Let's go back. Uh, Peter uh, denies the Lord three times, and it says this in Luke 22, verse 61, and the Lord turned. Now this, after the word came out of his mouth of denial, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Not a glance. It's that glare. Not with caustic, but I'm saying he looked at him. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. And that's said in, in two other passages as well. In other words, it, 
his heart had been penetrated. It had been broken. That's where repentance is, right there. Those words burned into his soul. So Peter repented right there. I mean, it wasn't like he went on. And and don't play it out like this. Well, he didn't repent until verse 15 of chapter 21. His rep- it shows the godliness of the man. It was, he wept. But then we also find in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and he's naming a number of times in, in 1 Corinthians 15 where Jesus appears to the disciples. And he says, and, and that he was seen by Cephas, Peter, and then by the twelve. Luke 24 says the same thing. In other words, this is what we find as you compare the, the four Gospels. Peter weeps uh, weeps bitterly. There's his repentance. After the resurrection, Jesus comes. And after seeing the ladies, the women, he appears to Peter specifically, personally, right there. And that's where fellowship was restored. This wasn't the first time he had been with Peter, you know, uh, that Peter had seen him. So, I mean... As soon as the resurrection took place, he appeared to Peter and things were made right. It was at that point, you know, that Peter would have been fully convinced that fellowship had been restored to his Lord. But the question that's still on the table, am I still going to be used? See, it's one thing to be in fellowship with the Lord, it's another thing to be used by the Lord. That's the question that we're going to have to deal with, or that's being dealt with here. So let's look at the... uh, the public restoration to service, to ministry. That's what uh, John 21 verses 15 to 17 is saying. So when they had eaten breakfast, so they had eaten, Christ asked a question. By the way, all three times, and you know the story well, uh, Christ asked a question, Peter responds, and then Christ commands him to do something. So let's look at the first one. Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And and again, the word Simon, and, and, and you wonder, again, I, I've, 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 I've preached on this uh, a couple other times. Simon is the word pebble, okay? Uh, what he's referring to is, he's going back and saying, you're a pebble, you're light, you're unstable. That's why, he, that's why he, all three times he uses the word Simon, son of, by the way, son of Jonah means what is he referring to? Human stock. In other words, you come from the human race. You come from the frail human race. You all do. We all do. So the Lord's question is very pointed. Simon, son of Jonah. Simon, you, you uh, shifty, shifty in the right sense. You know, constantly changing, never, not stable one. Do you love me? You're undependable, you're brash, you vacillate, you're impulsive, impetuous. Do you ever find yourself like that? Well, one over here said no, but everyone else. (laughs) By the way, Jesus earlier in John, I mean, right at the very beginning of the ministry, had changed Simon's name. And it appears he changed it because he wanted the nickname to be a perpetual reminder of what he will be. In John chapter 1, verse 42, uh, and he, that's Andrew, brought him to Jesus. So Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, and when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Now again, Cephas is uh, Arabic, and Peter is the Greek, and they both mean rock. You, you are Simon, but you will be the rock. You are a pebble, but you're going to be the rock. And I'm going to give you the, the name, the new name, the nickname, so that you would always remember. That's where, that's where I'm heading you towards. That's what I'm going to develop in you. That's the direction you're going. And I love that because isn't that how it is with every one of our lives? If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, of what you were, and now you're becoming more and more like Christ of what you're going to be, so Jesus had named him in John 1, and yet now he goes back and uses that first name, his, his, uh, his birth name, Simon, son of Jonah. You're just like humanity. You're just shifty, <laughs> undependable. 
By the way, if you go through the scriptures, it is interesting that Jesus will many times call Peter Simon when he's about to fail. <laughs> it's like he's reminding him. It's like, knock, knock. You're going, to be, you're, you're going to be tempted, and the temptation is that you're going to fail. I'll give you a couple. In Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. No, this is in the upper room. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I mean, Satan has asked permission to sift you. <laughs> I'm sure Peter was like, well, you, you told him not to, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I have prayed for you. No, no, Lord, just tell him to leave me alone. Well, when the intercessor prays for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, i.e. you're not going to consistently follow me, when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. That's what this is all about. See, that right there, Jesus had told him a few weeks earlier, you're, you're going to fail. But I have prayed for you. I'm on your side. In other words, Simon, Simon, you're weak. But I've prayed for you. I'm strong. And I'm going to give you hope. You're, you're not going to fail forever. You're going to come back. But when you do, don't just take the victory for yourself. Pass it on to your brethren. Strengthen them. That, that Luke 22 is a marvelous, marvelous verse 31 and 32. In, uh, in the garden, he came and found them sleeping. I just referenced that earlier and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? See, do you know why I use the word Simon? You're, you're undependable. I asked you to pray. But you're sleeping. Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter in temptation. The spirit is indeed uh, willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, just to write it down, I won't even read it for you, but in Matthew 16, when, when, Jesus, or when Peter did get it right about Jesus, thou art the Son of God, he then says, and, and Peter, you're the rock. And, I, I mean, uh, and on this rock, I'll build my church. He wasn't referring to Peter. Christ is the foundation. But he's saying, yeah, you got it right. I'm gonna, and, he, and, he, and he referenced it by saying, Peter there, not Simon. Simon earlier, but Peter. In other words, the word, the name... Uh, declare to everyone around uh, the name Peter that, that this is your direction. This is who I'm going to develop you to be. So he asked the question. I'm just now back to verse 15. Simon Peter, uh, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? And the word is agape. Agape, oh, it's a verb. You know, then the two words we're going to be looking at is agape and phileo, and the word is agape is, uh, is the fact of uh, uh, sacrificial. Do you love me? Do you love me with your whole heart? Do you supremely love me? Are you, are you loving me so much that you're willing to sacrifice for me and, and willing to give for my, my uh, cause, my kingdom? It's the highest kind of love. It's, it's the love that is total commitment. If you want to wrap it all up, it's the priority love. Do you love me? In fact, you see that same question being asked by Jesus over in, in Revelation chapter 2 at the church at Ephesus when he says all their great you know, deeds, I know your works, and he names them all, but you have lost your first love. And what he's referring to there is not that they didn't love Christ, but they did not love him with priority. In fact, that's why I'm actually preaching this message. Because when we get to Revelation in just a few weeks, and we get to Revelation chapters 2 through 6, and Jesus is walking among the lampstands, the church, the churches, we find that he knows. He knows where each church is at and each individual is at. And just like he asked the specific questions of Peter, he does the same thing, or actually just tells the church, this is where you're at. And we want to be prepared. So... He asked that very, very difficult question. Do you love me? Do you love me with 100% love? Do you love me like Matthew 22 says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love me like that? Or, or am I just convenient? Sometimes we love the Lord out of convenience. We give out of convenience. We serve out of convenience. We... we um, Minister our gifts out of convenience. We come to church out of convenience. 
I'm very concerned about that, by the way. I'm very concerned that, that there are some in our church that just, it's all out of convenience. It's not out of priority. And you say, well, how could you say that? Because see what takes priority over God's plan and God's people. In other words, what takes priority over in your life, if there is anything, that takes priority over God's plan, God's purpose, and God's people? And we fill that in with a lot of other priorities. We're willing to do all these other things. And the question is always asked me, well, is that sin? Well, no, a lot of times it's not sin to do these other activities. But you're showing that, it's, that God is not the priority of your life. And Christ is asking, Peter, am I your priority? Do you love me more than all these, <laughs> these things? More than these? And, well, actually, you might ask, well, what are these? Well, I think some have said it's the other disciples. Because remember, Peter did say, even though all these stumble, I will not stumble. So maybe he's jabbing him a little bit and saying, well, you know, you made that promise, but I didn't see it hold true. I don't think that's what it was. Because again, restoration had already taken place in fellowship. I think he's just looking at the fish. Because remember, verse 3, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Yeah, I knew I walked with him for three years. I know I was there. I denied him. I'm going fishing. And I think he's just looking at him and saying, hey, do you love me more than what this, this world has to offer? You can go fishing or are you going to fish for men? It does say in uh, Matthew 10, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There has to be an absolute priority for Christ and Christ alone, if that's how we serve. By the way, that is not me speaking. I would never have told you that unless I'm convinced in Scripture that's exactly what God... It's like, I mean, that's the message of God. He's got to be priority. If he's not priority in your life, you're displeasing to him. You've got to get it straight. Not for my sake, not for the church's sake, because it's between you and the Lord. Just like it's between... Notice this. This is all happening with the other disciples listening. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, again, Jesus said, you love me with agape. He says, yes, you know I love you with phileo-type love. Isn't that characteristic of humans? Just taking this, but downgrading it. The phileo is tender affection. I have tender affection. I have friendship, fondness. It's not a bad love. Don't look at what Peter's response is bad. It's just not the best and highest It's the type of love you can have without the new birth. So what Peter is saying is, by the way, Peter was honest. He could not have said, yes, I love you with agape love. There's just no way. A few days earlier, you just denied me. You're telling me you love me with a sacrificial agape 100% love. Notice, the Lord was direct and Peter was honest. What else could he do? (laughs) So Peter is saying this, Lord, I have affection for you. But the love you're asking of me, it's so far beyond me. You know, no, I can't can't say yes. There's no way. You see what's happening to Peter? He is being broken from his self-deluding strength. (laughs) So he said to him, After he makes that, he said, feed my lambs. Boy, that is just total grace right there. Do you love me with 100% love? I love you with a friendship love. Take care of my sheep. That is grace. Because what Christ is acknowledging, I know you're not perfect. I understand you're not perfect. But you are walking with me because you're honest enough to say that you aren't going to be able to do it without me. Okay? That's great. That's good. How about the second time, verse 16? He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me, agape? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, phileo. And he said, tend my sheep. So he's, what, is he, what has he just said here? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Again, grace, grace. By the way, the word tend is the same word we get pastor. Pastor may feed, rule, pastor, shepherd, shepherd. Do you love me supremely? You know I like you a lot. (laughs) 
take care of my people. That's really what's going on in verse 16. And then look at the third, uh, the third time, 17. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Phileo. Uh-oh. Uh, Jesus moves from agape and he uses the word phileo on the third time. Okay, Peter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down to where you're at. Okay? I'm calling you to agape. By the way, you can, you can live with agape love when you're, when you're trusting and allowing God's power to be in you. But Jesus says, he doesn't use the word agape the third time. He says, uh, do you love me, phileo? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me, phileo? Why would he be grieved? I mean, he's coming down to, because are you saying I can't live in that? He was grieved because he understood what the Lord understood, that he wasn't where he needed to be. If Jesus asked me, do you love me with agape? I need to be able, because I'm a blood-bought child of his, filled with the Spirit. Lord, I can't do it without your strength, but I can do it, and we can do it with your strength. That's how, because God is love, and God is in us, all right? Now, notice the second part. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So again, wholehearted devotion is what God or Christ is calling Peter. Wholehearted. That means that he's willing to serve and sacrifice and suffer as an expression of his love to Christ. That's what he's calling him to do. Are you? And you're going to see that in the next couple of verses. See, it's not perfect love that Peter is professing, but he's saying, listen, but I, I, but I want to follow you. And I love you. And I've been with you. And so he was humbled and he was honest. And uh, I would say this, Peter had lost his delusions of strength by the end of verse 17. Okay? See, he had delusions of strength and got him all kinds of problems on the day of, this, of the crucifixion. But by this whole process that he has just gone through, he has lost his delusion of strength. He is a man now that is going to be following right behind his Lord. He's going to be the one that says in his own, uh, his own epistle that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And he's going to be the one that says, cast all your care on him, he cares for you. Do you see what's happened in Peter's life? He thought he was ready to serve him before, uh, before the crucifixion. He had, a, he, had, he had to go to seminary, the Lord's seminary. But it was a seminary through failure. But now he's broken, and now he can be used. Let me just end with five different lessons, five, six. Let's go six. I think yours are A, B, and C. I had someone leave a couple weeks ago, and they said, you know what's really difficult? You say one, two, three, and on our outline it's A, B, C. So let me do them. A. These are just some things we can learn from this. Restoration is possible, but not easy. <laughs> it's possible, but not easy. By the way, I didn't say it's always possible. It's always possible, but many times it doesn't happen. Restoration is always possible in that sense, but not easy. But it's very, very necessary. Again, Peter denied Christ three times. Christ three times asked him, and I believe it's in direct relation to the denials, do you love me? You just denied me. Do you love me? Question, does it seem cruel to you that the Lord asked Peter three times in front of the others whether he loved him? Does that sound cruel? Was it painful? Let me ask you, was it painful for Peter to answer? Oh, there was a lot of pain. I'm sure that didn't come out in a confident way. I mean, in the sense of, you know, like... I'm going to do it again. I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to be successful. No, there was pain. It was hurt for sure, but it wasn't cruel. It wasn't cruel. The cruel thing would be to not resolve it and let it fester so that throughout his entire life, both he and others would think that he was somehow inferior and unworthy of the office of apostle, though he had obviously repented. That would have been the cruel thing. See, this was the very, that was a very loving, gracious thing that the Lord did. He brought him, he brought him not just by himself, because he had already met with him as far as uh, restoring uh, fellowship. But now he brought him in front of the group. You know why? Because he was making sure that everyone knew, this man is still being used by me. 
So he was restored and he was still useful. That's why Peter, even in his own book of 1 Peter 5, 2, he says to the shepherd, shepherd the flock which is among you, because he himself was a shepherd. He himself even calls himself as an elder. I'm sure when he, when he writes the one letter and calls himself a fellow elder, he was like, oh, and I am so thankful that I am a shepherd because he could have easily, in the world standpoint, from a human standpoint, be put on the shelf. So the first thing is restoration is possible. Second is we are safe in the omniscience of Christ. Notice verse 15, 16, 17. All, time, all three times he says, You know that I love you. You know. You know it. That word means to inspect or examine. It's a very precise, you know all things. Let me give you an interesting thought for the future. In Revelations verse, uh, chapters 2 and 3, when Jesus is talking to the churches... Each time he uses that exact word, I know your works. He knows us. He knows exactly where each one of us are, right? He knows what our church is. He's the all-knowing one. But look at verse 17. There's a second no that he uses. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know. That second word, no, is actually not the word ido, E-I-D-O. It's the actual word gnosko, and the second word no is different. That's what I'm trying to get at. And it means experientially no. What Peter does in that third uh, confession is he says, listen, you know where I'm at because I have walked with you for three years. That's what Peter's arguing there. You know that I love. Yes, I don't love you with, the, with, with this type of love, but you know that I love you because I've walked with you experientially. I just find that very interesting. Peter is confident in who his Lord is. And, and he is able to, I mean, that's what I mean by confidence. He, Christ knows all. Does that tear us down? Actually, that builds us up. In fact, do you remember, uh, if you've never read the book, it's a really wonderful book. It's called a, a Gospel Primer, I think it is, or something like that. Uh, yeah, tell you the book and I can't remember the title. I think it's called the Gospel Primer. Um, but, but he writes this. The gospel also reminds me that my righteous standing with God always holds firm regardless of my performance because my standing is based solely on the work of Christ and not mine. On my worst days of sin and failure, the gospel encourages me with God's unrelenting grace towards me. And on my best days of victory and usefulness, the gospel keeps me relating to God solely on the basis of Christ's righteousness and not my own. And so he is confident. You know, and by the way, he would say this, and I'm, I'm safe in that. Yes, they know my failures, but let me give you the flip side of that. God also knows the very best things about us. John, you talk a lot about sin. You mean there's the very best things? Yeah, he knows your victories that you've had through him. He knows your consistencies that have been developed because of his strength. He knows your successes and his, your, the triumphs that you had. See, sometimes we always deal with the sins and we need to. But he also knows, he knew Peter's heart. See, if you were a human, if you're one of the disciples, you're looking at Peter and say, man, you know, I thought he was like, the, you know, he's the inner core. He's like a total failure. But he's looking at the Lord and saying, you know what, but you know my heart. You know the areas that you've already worked in. You know my successes. You know where I've been consistent. I find a lot of encouragement in that. Sometimes we're always looking at the sin. I can honestly say I'm thankful that the Lord knows me. Are you glad for that? That he knows that you want to triumph. And he knows what you're doing to go in that direction. How about C? True love for Christ demands obedience. See, what does he say? If you love me, feed my lambs. If you really, really love me, then I want you to tend my sheep. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He had said that in John 14 earlier. Just remember, you can, when, when God asks you whether or not you love him, he doesn't ask for emotion. He says, then do what I say. And three times, in the imperative, in the imperative, Jesus commands Peter, if you really love me, then obey me. 
That's the, that's the test of true love. Are you willing to obey? By the way, Peter wasn't perfect. You find in Galatians chapter 2, in Paul's speaking, that, uh, that when, um, when he was with the group of uh, Gentiles, he was eating with the Gentiles, and the Jew, Judaizers came along. And remember, it says that he withdrew from the Gentiles. And what he was doing is playing the hypocrite. Peter was playing the hypocrite. This is way after this incident. Peter was not perfect. It's in Scripture that Peter was not perfect. And it says that Paul uh, um, you know, uh, admonished him to his face, withstood him to his face. And he repented. And Peter's like, oh, i got to go through this again. Well, he had been a repenter. You know what's really interesting about Peter? At the end of his second epistle, he references Paul. And he says this, My beloved brother Paul, that wisdom was given to him. And he's the man that withstood him to his face. That just shows how humble Peter really was. Peter was a humble man because when Paul confronted him, what did he do? He repented. And not only, he loved his, um, he loved the guy that came to rebuke him. Do you love the person that rebukes you? Sometimes, yeah, that's the idiot. Get out of my life. Peter embraced Paul and was even in Holy Scripture said, my beloved brother Paul. Number four, D, if, you love, if we love the Lord, we will love, connect, and serve his people. The priority of Christ is his people. That's why he, he doesn't say, if you love me, preach for me and evangelize for me. And he, No, notice what he says. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Sheep? You have to use that word, Lord, sheep? What are sheep like? Here are some characteristics of sheep. Foolish, slow to learn. You know, like a sheep. Get them in the wire, they get out. You keep, you know, they get all tangled up in the wire, and you know what? Next day, you know where they're found? Back at the fence, in the wire. They're slow to learn. They're unattractive. They don't have any... They're dirty, smelling, ugly, as one author said. By the way, we're called sheep. Demanding, demanding, You know, they're always bleeding for more grass, better grass. Stubborn. Have you ever watched a shepherd trying to get the sheep to go, as one man said, through the dip tank? Always around, can't ever get them, you know. Straying. All we like sheep have gone astray. They're always straying. Unpredictable. Restless. They say that a sheep will not lie down until they're... uh, they have uh, freedom from fear, friction from other sheep, hunger, and pests and parasites. And bottom line is they don't lay down much. <laughs> the point is, is, you know, we think of sheep as all white, fluffy. Have you ever actually been, you know, you just even go to the, the fair and they're like stinky, dirty. You know, they roll around in their own feces and, ew. well, not quite roll around, but you get the point. What's that? And so what does he say? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me, take care of my people. And and by the way, that's generic for all of us. If you love Jesus Christ, you're going to involve yourself with his people. End of story. Even even 1 John says, if someone says, I love you, I mean, excuse me, if someone says, I love God, he later on in the different verse, the next verse says, "He who loves God must love his brother." You got to involve yourself with people. You got to serve people. You got to connect with people. That's why we want you to really consider strongly being in a home group, being in a men's group, being in a, a, a women's group. Connect yourself with people. I really was blessed this morning. Someone was telling me about how they connect with one of the other members of the church. And oh, he said, I, "I call him once or twice a week." This is not a relative. Just yeah, I like to find out how he's doing. That's what it's all about. Connect yourself with people. The people of God. How about number five? Our gracious Savior wants to use us because he told Peter, the failure, feed my sheep. I like what Paul Tripp said in this uh, series on community. This is what Tripp says about people to people. Because this is where we're at, and I think this is where actually if... Actually, if, if I was to say there was a, a, a major weakness in an Alfred Allen Bible Church, I'd say it's right here. I think sometimes there's a number of people that are not connecting with other people. Oh, there are definitely many who, of you who are, but I see that as a weakness. I think many of us 
many of you are not connecting like you ought to with, with your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Paul Tripp said this, I move towards you not because I trust you or because I think it is going to work and be easy. I thought, boy, that's an honest guy. I move towards you knowing that we are both broken and, and in this relationship is potentially messy. I, I, that's, I move towards you because I trust the Lord Jesus Christ and, and he is in us with us, and he is for us. He will never leave us. It is the cross that drives me towards you. And that's how it should be for you. It's not because you think it's not going to be messy, because you know it is. Just life experience tells you that. But I move towards you. Why? For actually two reasons. The cross of Christ, because I love him. And actually, because I know there's blind spots in my own life, I desperately need you. I desperately need you in my life. I need your instruction. I need the one anothering that you can give me in my life and vice versa. So again, are you connected? And then finally, obedience should be no matter what. Look at verse 18. After Jesus said, feed my sheep, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now he asks a question. Peter is always asking questions, right? The, the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. Well, what about John, verse 20? And Jesus, verse 20, says, don't worry about him. By the way, we get in all kinds of problems when we start comparing our lives with other people's lives. You... Present imperative, follow me. And Peter did. He ended as a rock. He, I just want you to know, he ended as a rock. Uh, tradition says this, that he was imprisoned. In fact, one, one, uh, art, uh, one article I read even said this, he was imprisoned, escaped, realized that he was supposed to suffer because he, he was sent to that prison to, uh, to speak the gospel, and he actually turned himself back in. That's one of the traditions. But, but the, the tradition that's the most pronounced and clearest is this. He was finally... Uh, condemned to be crucified. It was him and his wife, both of them, because he was married. Both of them were in prison. And she was actually crucified first. And it says that from the prison, from the prison cell, he, he saw his wife going to her execution. And, and, and this is the only thing that he cried out to his wife. Remember the Lord. That's so beautiful. Remember, go to your death. Remember the Lord. And then she was crucified and then... Um, then he was crucified. And, and he felt that he, he did not want to die like his Lord with cross like this. And he asked, he pleaded that he would be crucified, but crucified upside down. Because he did not want to die as his Lord had died. Remember the Lord. Peter, do you love me? Actually, Simon, do you love me? Yeah, Peter turned out to be the rock. Why? Because he... His, his delusion of self-dependence was broken. And he knew that if he was going to truly love the Lord with agape, he needed to completely trust in him and depend on him. And that's what we all have to do, right? Let's stand as we worship.